Well, this will give you an opportunity to get done a little bit earlier and go drink, I guess, huh? <laughs> no, it's a, it's a day off today, Monday. Oh, what do you mean Mondays are a day off? Is it just because, you know, just the European kind of lifestyle where you guys get six months off the year anyway? Yeah, something like that. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasty notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 a cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. Kenny's here. Uh, we are not having Ryan today. Ryan is actually in his busy season right now. You know, this is a comes one of those times where we we always say that this uh, this podcast is something that's a it's a great hobby for us, but we always have to focus on our families and our actual careers first off. So he's not going to be able to make it today. But I am joined by a great guest. Uh, thankfully, I could make it. Right, I've I've got some of that luxury of being able to work wherever I am. Uh, I'm not sitting there tending to uh, spraying chemicals in yards like Ryan does. So he he has to work during the day. And uh, depending on the inclement weather is when he can make it and when he can't. And especially during this time of the year, the wintertime, he's much more available. So we're going to miss his quick re- witty remarks today. 
But we'll go ahead and we'll talk about uh, our guest because I think this is going to be an interesting one. Um, you know, you go around and, and you see bullet bourbon all across any liquor store you kind of go to here in the States. But we've got uh, our guest today is actually not from the U.S. He is based over in London and we have Tim Judge. Tim is the global ambassador for Bullet Bourbon. So, Tim, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Uh, my first podcast, my first Google Hangout. So, Let's see, uh, we're we're gonna knock it all excited. out. Yeah, we're gonna shoot a lot of firsts right here, and I think you're gonna be a first for us too. Like talking uh, a lot of this stuff about, uh, you know, bullet for the first off, and then as we had mentioned uh, before we started recording here, that we'd like to have you come back on again because I think it'd be good to learn more about the the international bourbon market as well. Because I'm sure there's there's some there's some things that aren't necessarily seen here in the States that you would see in, uh, or maybe even the growth factor. But today we really want to focus on, on bullet and you and, and all those great things. And so the, the question that we always ask our guests is kind of how did you get into, you know, bourbon or whiskey in the first place? Um, it goes back about, I think back about 10 years, about 2005. Uh, I was living in the UK, um, I had various bartending jobs here, there, and everywhere. Um, but my mum passed away at Christmas 2005. And that was the kind of huge life-changing event and inspiration I needed to kind of change my life around and just go go off and chase some dreams. So beginning of 2006, I quit my job uh, in England. It's running a, a beach resort down in on the tourist town of Falmouth in Cornwall. Uh, and... Flew to probably the furthest away place in the world, so went over to New Zealand uh, with no real plans, but a dream to become a real cocktail bartender and really kind of get into that side of it in a country that I'd always wanted to visit. Got a, a one-way plane ticket, landed in New Zealand, toured around the country for a bit, and then got myself a job at one of the top cocktail bars. Really got into the whole cocktail scene, started to enter some competitions, and I started to win a lot of competitions and found that I was actually not so bad at making drinks. And then 2009, got the, the award for Bartender of the Year in New Zealand and won that competition, which opened up a kind of heap of doors for me internationally and gave me a lot of offers to go and travel the world and get some consultancies here, there and everywhere. So um, after analyzing a lot of the offers I got, I probably took the craziest one that I could find, um, which was to go to India. Oh wow, that does sound pretty crazy. So I guess before we jump there, like, what was that cocktail that you said that you made that kind of jump started your career? Uh, it was a whole series. Of, so cocktail competitions are generally generally um, about a series of cocktails and how you perform and present um, across a series. So it was a number of competitions I did, from vodka brands to rum brands to bourbon to scotch. Um, I managed to do quite well in all of them. And then the bartender of the year competition was a series of, of different tests and examinations and presenting cocktails, speed challenges, to kind of test all of your skills. Gotcha. So then what, what took you to India then? You said that was like the, the craziest opportunity. Yeah, I got, a, I got an offer to go and do a, consult, a one-year consultancy at the Taj Mahal Palace Hotel. Uh, if you cast your mind back to 2008 and the terrorist attacks in Mumbai, it was the, the hotel that was kind of held hostage for three days live on TV. Wow. Um, and then and eventually set fire to. So they were looking for someone to go and help them reopen the bars um, after reconstruction of the hotel. My girlfriend at the time had been doing a lot of work in India. So it all kind of just fell into place. And it seemed like a, an offer that was too tempting to resist. 
Yeah. Well, it sounds pretty crazy, but it's pretty awesome at the same exact time. So the three years in India, uh, one of the most amazing experiences in my life. To go to a country that is so unique, so full of energy um, and so vibrant, it was, just, it was just amazing. And then, so from there, I got into the kind of whole brand ambassador world. And then two years, two and a half years ago now, was given the offer of becoming a global brand ambassador uh, with Diageo. Asked or told that I could pick any brand uh, within the reserve portfolio that I wanted to work with. Um, and Bullet was the first choice. So I guess, why would you choose Bullet then? What, what made you so, uh, I guess, attracted to uh, that particular label or brand? Uh, for me, it was uh, a love of American whiskey. Always been a huge bourbon fan. Brown spirits in, in general is my thing, but bourbon and rum were, were always two of my favorites. Uh, and then the, also the opportunity to go and work with Tom Bullet. Um, it's very rare that you get to go and work with the founder of a brand um, that isn't some sort of tiny startup, but it's a big, well-established brand. And, and to get to go and kind of spend a lot of time working with someone. And after meeting Tom a few times previously, learning what an incredible character he is and what a gentleman and a true legend of the bourbon world. Uh, it was just, it was the obvious choice. So I guess what kind of uh, lessons have, did you take away from Tom after meeting him or, or some of those like quick tidbits, you know, about, about him that you can share? It's probably one of the most, without a doubt, the most charming, quick-witted, funny, self-deprecating uh, and generous man uh, I've met in quite some time. Mm-hmm. My first my first meeting with Tom was in Kentucky and we were down, we were going to have breakfast on the Dixie Bell down on the river. Knew who Tom was, introduced myself to Tom and he's like, hey Tom, hey Tim, nice to meet you. We chatted for about half an hour and then he starts fumbling around in his pockets and he pulls out the key, keys to his car and he's like, Tim, what, what's this in my hand? And I just stood down and I'm like, well, it appears to be the keys to your Porsche, Tom. Well, you're right, Tim. And then just hands me the keys. Um, and then tells me that I'm going to be his driver for the rest of the day. <laughs> well, there you go. He couldn't, he didn't want to feel like calling an Uber. You're his own personal Uber for that day then, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then he had the, uh, the little freak out moment when he realizes that I'm from, I'm from England and I drive on the other side of the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sit on the other side of the car. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I was like, your shifting hand is the, uh, is the other yeah. one, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, you know, we've had global ambassadors on the show before and, you know, we, they talk a lot about, you know, the job is talking to bartenders and uh, about their bourbon or attending events and handing out cocktails, but mm-hmm. you're, 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 you know, you're a global ambassador. So what more does that entail than, than just having those two types of things that are involved? Um, so for me, we, the ambassador program with Bullet is a, is a big, big part of, um, I'd say our strategy um, because we do very little advertising. You'll see the occasional giant um, bullet logo plastered up somewhere around the U S um, but that's all we really do. So we focus a lot of our time and our energy um, in partnerships and the brand ambassador community that we've built um, around bullet is a huge part of that. So in the U S we have a, have a whole team across the country who run programs like the bullet Woody, which I'm sure you've seen. It kind of runs around the US. Um, and in Europe, we have a, a team of 12 ambassadors now across Europe, um, all focused on Bullet. So I manage that program. Um, I help kind of devise drink strategies, 
um, to make sure that we've got some great serves for for people. And one of the really cool things that I get, and probably the coolest part of my job right now, um, is I get to do some really, really cool um, creative collaborations. So because Tom's got this amazing story of um, he was a lawyer, uh, former Vietnam vet, and then 1986, he wanted to kind of chase his dreams of becoming becoming a bourbon man. He's through and through Kentucky, grew up in Louisville, lived in Lexington. He had dreams of becoming, you know, of having his own bourbon brand. So in 1987, he launched Bullet Bourbon and chased those dreams and quit a very successful law practice. Um, so what we do now is we look for people that have a similar story. So kind of creative entrepreneurs who had a job that was kind of not very exciting um, and then quit everything, risked everything that they had to chase their dreams. And we find these people and then we try and do like some really cool collaborative um, projects with them. So I guess the most famous one in the US we've done is um, the Noble Denim Partnership. I'm not sure if you're, you've heard of this one. No, I sure haven't. But we partnered with um, Noble Denim, a company out of Cincinnati, um, to create the world's first barrel-aged jeans. Interesting. Yeah, so we, um, we worked with them to kind of come up with an idea of how we can tell the story of bourbon and denim um, in a single product. And it all came down to aging because um, both products age and the result of aging get better with age. So with bourbon, the longer it spends in the barrel, the more influence the wood has on the, the spirit. And with denim, the older the genes get, the more faded they become and the more they tell the story of the, the person that owns them. The idea was to kind of combine those two stories into a pair of jeans. At least, you know, we've, we've always seen like a history of jeans here, at least in the U.S. Like, you know, I guess uh, across the pond, fashion's always a little bit different, right? But yeah. I think it was a few years ago, like you always want to just, everybody, as soon as you got a new pair of jeans, you, you want to cut holes in, into them and uh, put take a pair of scissors right through the knees and go wash them and get them frayed. And then yeah. <laughs> as of late now, it's like, it's like very like slim, dark blue, like the darkest blue kind of jeans. You yeah. can get. Was Never wash them. Yeah, exactly. Wash them like right. once every two years. And, no, so that, that's definitely so that was, concept. Yeah. It sounds like that was a really fun project to work with, and and we kind of like look, we really find interesting projects like that. Try and do things that haven't been done before, push the boundaries, and really engage these creative people. I'm currently working on a project um, where we found a guy from South Africa who's who was a chef and who moved to London with the dream of of becoming a bicycle builder. So he hand builds um, steel bikes of an incredibly high standard. And his family also comes from uh, a line of Coopers. So they used to build his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather used to build barrels that aged um, South African brandy. And his father used to work for Jim Beam. Uh, and now he's one of the most awarded custom uh, bicycle builders in, in Europe. So we're doing a project with him right now to create a, a bullet bike. Yeah, where we kind of try and tell the story of bullet and the, the production of the bourbon through a, a physical bicycle. And we'll just touch on you real quick because I'm sure that kind of rings a, uh, you know, touches your heartstrings when it talks about bikes, right? So kind of give everybody yeah. an idea about you uh, and a life outside of outside of the brown spirits. Um, yeah, so it's two big passions outside of spirits, um, which tend to kind of get involved in work as well, and that's cycling and coffee. So since I, you know, since I was knee high to a grasshopper, I've been on on a bike. I grew up living opposite a BMX track. So I'd always, always kind of spend my time going, throwing myself off, much to my parents' uh, disgust of coming back covered in blood and cuts and falling off my bike a number of times. Um, 
and then got into mountain biking quite seriously, started racing. Um, and now I've moved to London, kind of. It's not, not really many places to go mountain biking in London, so it's moved now to road bikes. Um, so I spend a lot of my, as much of my time as possible cycling. And probably a good chunk of your money fantastic. too, right? Because I know those, those high-end bikes aren't cheap. It's, yeah, it's not, not a cheap hobby at all. So <laughs> not a cheap hobby. Um, yeah, oh, I just got right. back from the Alps and riding some of the mountains that the Tour de France guys go over, which was the, the best holiday I could possibly imagine. Then I also kind of try and bring uh, a little bit of charity work into it as well. So every year I can set myself a, a challenge to raise money for charity. So this year I am cycling, running and swimming 10,000 miles uh, for charity. Well, it's 9,999 more I, I can do. So audio <laughs> on that one. <laughs> well, cool. So I want to shift it back to, uh, back to bourbon a little bit here. And sure. I know it probably shouldn't go without saying, but we might as well give the people what they want. So talk about, and at this point, it should be pretty hard for anybody that doesn't know at this point what bullet bourbon is, but kind of give your pitch of, of just bullet to the, to the person who's just getting into bourbon in the first place. Um, so bullet is, um, uh, a bourbon that sits in, in one of one of three star, main styles of bourbon. We are what we call a high rye um, style of bourbon. So you've got three main categories. You've got the the wheated bourbons that make us Mark and Old Fitzgerald, uh, which are corn, wheat, and barley. And then you've got your traditional style mash bills, which are high corn, low rye, such as kind of Jim Beam, uh, Knob Creek, Wild Turkey, Buffalo Trace. Uh, and then we sit in the third category, which is high rye. So we generally, compared to our competitors, um, have about twice as much um, rye in our mash bill. So we're looking at 68% corn, 28% uh, rye, and 4% malted barley. And that rye is going to give us a kind of a slightly spicier note for the um, character to the bourbon, which just gives a, di- a, a different style. Um, a lot of people think that kind of all bourbons taste the same, that they're all sweet. And they're all not as good as scotch, but the more you dive into the category, the more the more you realize that there's an incredible diversity, both styles and, and flavors. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that, that's the kind of yeah. So that's the kind of liquid. Um, a little brand history. So, Bullet was founded in 1987 by a very charismatic Tom Bullet, chasing his dream, quit his law practice, uh, and with the support of his very uh, very loving and wonderful wife Betsy. Uh, founded the brand. Uh, he originally had the idea to call it Thoroughbred uh, until someone pointed out that that was a terrible name and he actually had a really cool surname so why not use that instead? Um, yeah, because he had he had his family history that was involved with bourbon distillation at one point, right? Yeah, so Augustus Bullitt, who is Tom's great-great-grandfather, uh, emigrated from France in 1817 kind of landed in, in uh, Louisiana, probably in New Orleans, and then traveled around those frontier states um, as a tavern, tavern owner. Uh, and most tavern keepers of, of, the, of that period would have also um, had a small still and would have been distilling their own bourbon to their own kind of personal recipe. So Tom kind of found an old family recipe that Augustus had used and decided to, to bring it back to life. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. 
Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. So I guess talk about some of the individual expressions of each one, you know, what makes one a little bit unique and different to the next, and maybe the pitch that you would do for those at a tasting event, since that's maybe your bread and butter is, is doing that a lot, uh, a lot of times for, for people. Yeah, actually, I do a lot less tastings now than I used to in a while since, that, since I've done one. Uh, but we've got um, four expressions now. Um, back in the, uh, the, your, your skull there, really <laughs> call it some good memories. Back in the pond. Yeah, we've got four expressions now for you guys in Kentucky um, mm-hmm. and three around the rest of the world. So we've got, um, we've got the, the standard, the bullet bourbon. So we've got our 68% rye, 28%, sorry, 68% corn, 28% rye, 4% barley, which is our, our typical bourbon mash bill. Aged between six to eight years in, those, in the casks. Again, like, like a lot of people do, it's um, char number four on the barrels and char number two on the staves. So we're looking at maximum char in the barrels to give that real kind of sweet, strong character to the whiskey. We've got our rye whiskey, uh, which was launched in 2011, uh, which is doing just phenomenally well now. It's the world's, now it's the world's best-selling uh, rye whiskey and has really been a, a huge part of the brand's success in the past five years. Yeah, I mean, and it's a heavy rye too, right? Like 95% rye or something like that? Yeah, so it's it's the it's the MGPI mash bill of 95% rye, 5% uh, barley. Yeah, it's, it's, MGP, it's actually Indiana. one of my favorites for for making a Manhattan. Yeah, I think for me, it's a, it's the real character of rye whiskey. There are some there are some great ryes out there that, that kind of sit a lot more around the the legal minimum of fifty one percent rye, uh, but we're we're at the completely other end of the scale. So even in rye whiskey now, you're starting to see different styles of rye whiskey kind of growing into what is a fairly uh, not a new category, but we're definitely seeing a renaissance of the category. You know, for a long time, there was hardly any rye on the market, and all of a sudden, in the last five six years, it's it's really exploded. Um, and the market's now starting to reach some sort of maturity where there's starting to be defined styles within, within the right category itself. And so the rye is doing phenomenally well. When I travel the world, it's, it's the rye that the bartenders get super excited about. 
I also heard like a funny, funny quip about it that I think when they were choosing the label for the rye whiskey, since, you know, it has a green label, it's different than the, mm-hmm. the regular orange label that you see on all the bourbons, but they went through about a hundred different shades of green before they actually found the green that they wanted for that particular label. Yeah, it, it took a lot of, so the real funny story is that Hollis, Tom's daughter, paint different shades of green on the wall. So they had this wall and there was just like hundreds of different shades of green painted onto the wall, which, uh, which Hollis had done trying to find the right color for the label. Figured there's a good story behind it. Yeah. All right, I won't interrupt you. So keep going about the brands then. So we've got the rye. Um, we've got the 10-year-old bourbon. So you've got the same mash bill as the regular bourbon, um, but obviously 10-year-old minimum age. And then slightly higher ABV. So the bourbon and the rye kind of 45% ABV or 90 proof, um, as you guys will say over there. And then the 10-year-old is 45.6 or 91.2 proof. It's just a slight change in the proof. that um, just kind of really brings, brings out a little bit more of, of the kind of punch uh, that can be lost if, as you age spirits for a lot longer. I mean, bourbon ages a lot faster than scotch for example you know you're looking at a good 10 12 years for, for scotch to reach a minimum maturity in a lot of places and obviously bourbon because of the the unique climate in kentucky ages a lot faster about the 10 year you know of course it's aged a few years longer but i mean mm-hmm. are there any drastic tasting differences between the two like maybe a much heavier oakiness or anything like that to it it's definitely a little bit richer uh, it's still got the characteristics of the high rise. You've still got that kind of nice spiciness, balancing the the initial sweetness of the corn because the mash bill will always always shine through uh, in a good bourbon. Uh, but it is a little bit richer. You do get a little bit more kind of just the mellowing from the wood. I wouldn't say kind of it's not it's not a woody tasting, but you the wood just kind of mellows the spirit out a little bit more, makes it a little bit richer rather than that kind of fresh youthful vibrancy that you get from some of the younger bourbons. Uh, and then our newest one to market, which was launched earlier this year, is the Barrel Strength, which is a Kentucky-only release. So you guys are very lucky. The rest of the world is chomping at the bit. Yeah, we, we, hands we, get, on that. we get it every once in a while. We get a few gems here that are local to us. Yeah. So have you actually had a chance to try the, the Barrel Strength yet? Yeah, yeah. So I've um, had a few pre-release bottles, and I've got a, a, few bo- a couple of bottles of it at home. But it is in high demand. Uh, we're trying to do a few events uh, with it and it's we basically have to order it from the distillery about four months out to kind of try and get our hands on some oh really is that that the kind of yeah. uh i guess you could say pre-ordering timeline that you get to be in front of there yeah it's it's just in such high demand you've got, you've got people in california and new york going crazy because they can't get their hands on it and the world has changed i think the world is now uh very much global so what what happens in kentucky and it doesn't stay in Kentucky. You know, if, you try and launch a, if you try and launch a product in Kentucky, the next, you know, within a week, that product will be in collectors' hands, in in passionate people's hands, anywhere in the world. Right. Uh, Some of our brand teams were, were kind of like, "What do you mean that people in in Norway have got bottles of barrel strength already? We we only sell it in in Kentucky." It's a it's amazing what you can do with a shipping label, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get a shipping label and a and a box of uh, nerds, and you don't hear a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another cool thing, at least that I like about bourbon, is you know it's it's had some some time, or at least with Bullet, it's had some appearances in 
uh, mainstream media. Like it was actually mm-hmm. in HBO's Deadwood, uh, which I thought was, yeah, was. kind of interesting, right? It, which yeah, so that's the bottle, the um, the great bottle that Steve, Steve Sandstrom, Sandstrom Partners uh, designed all the way back in 1999, that bottle. Uh, no, 1998 when Bullet was still part of Seagram's. Just an incredible bottle that has won kind of every packaging design going and it's just has become a real, real icon for us. I think mm-hmm. the bottle is a huge part of, of the brand success as well. Yeah, I think so too. You know, there's there's always an edge of marketing into everything. And I, I think that it's always one thing that when you when you look at it, you always have to take it with a grain of salt, right? Because the one thing that you see on it, it says frontier whiskey. Mm-hmm. Yet if anybody ever comes across a real bottle of like frontier whiskey, odds are you're probably never gonna want to drink that anyway, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, whiskey from the early 19th century in the frontier was uh, was not refined at all, should we say. Mm-hmm. You know, most of it would have been unaged. It would have been probably flavored and with all sorts of things just to try and make it taste less shit. Yeah, but to uh, put it easy way, absolutely. Yeah, but there was also some, you know, there were also some people who were taking it a little bit more seriously and trying to create a good quality product. Kind of hear stories about people making 10, 12, 20-year-old bourbons and uh, really trying to make a great product. Well, the other thing about just having Frontier Whiskey, right, it's it's not – I I don't want people to think like, oh, they're lying to us or they're just making, you know, crazy marketing claims. But really, I, I think the idea behind it was to to try to tie the heritage of Tom Bullitt uh, back to his his great-great-grandfather. And, you know, it's, it's, of course, not the same exact recipe per se, right? But it's just a it's just a way to kind of have those two be a little more synonymous with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And today we kind of take a more liberal, uh, or more interesting, I think, use of the word frontier. So rather than kind of linking it back to to Augustus and, and the heritage of Bullet, we kind of look at frontiers being more of an attitude for people who are who are risking risking everything to chase their dreams, uh, to be entrepreneurs and to really push the boundaries within their fields of, of expertise. Kind of like Tom did when he, you know, he risked everything, his whole successful law practice. He put his, his house and his mortgage on the line uh, and everything to, to found Bullet and to kind of really start this, this bourbon company. Because for a long time, it, it was not particularly successful. You know, it was Tom on his own. Uh, well, actually with... Um, with his daughter Hollis kind of traveling from bar to bar, trying to kind of hand sell his bourbon to two bartenders. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, it was that hard work and that groundwork that him and Hollis put in that have really laid the foundations for the success of the brand in the last few years. I'm trying to say that Frontier is now an attitude rather than like a physical place and time. It, there seems to be a, a common thread with with the with uh, with Diageo and, and you all talking about you know like making these uh, with the word frontier and then also making these these the ways that you want to go and find new ways to do integrations and partnerships. It sounds a lot like you all are becoming the the shark's tank or the uh, the lion's den for you all in the UK of, uh, of of the spirits industry, like trying to to find those new people that are that are looking to. Um, you know, give it all up and make a big, big splash in a, in a new world. Yeah, I think you could put it that way. I think for us, the, like working on the brand, um, particularly Deja, the greatest thing about working on Bullet is it's by far and away the most fun, interesting, creative brand to work on within the, the Diageo portfolio. 
And I think that's part of his success that we get so excited to work on these projects, to work with the brand, to spend time with Tom, that that really shows through in a lot of the kind of ideas and the work that we do. And I think that a lot of people kind of engage with the brand as well because we are we're trying to do things a little bit differently and we we look like we're having fun with the brand. If you're not having fun, then you're not you're not doing the you're not doing your job then, right? Yeah, exactly. And what's drinking all about? It's about having fun. <laughs> so back to the back to the label itself uh, and to the bourbon itself, you know, the marketing also plays a heavy role in the way that just the label is positioned. Mm-hmm. Do you wanna you wanna talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, I mean, even the label goes back to the fact that everything you know, back on the front in the 19th century, in the early frontier days, would have been hand-labeled. Um, so the labels wouldn't have been uniformly straight on every bottle, uh, depending on how many whiskeys the, uh, the labeler had had the night before, or the morning, the morning of the labeling. It's kind of funny. I, we, we recently launched in Colombia, and I got a phone, a phone call from a very panicked kind of head of the business in Colombia telling me that, there was a huge problem with the launch of Bullet because they'd really they'd received the first batches of Bullet in the country, um, and every box that opened the labels were all on wonky. And they were really <laughs> oh, they're worried. all straight or whatever. No, no, no. They were like, the labels are oh, all on they're all on right. an angle. They're they're not straight. So we've got a faulty batch of Bullet. <laughs> they're all uniformly crooked, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes even we get it wrong. I've I've found bottles of bourbon which have got rye labels on them and vice versa and sometimes you get labels which run upside down and so even in the modern time i think even the, the machines that we use in the in the bottling plant are slightly hung over sometimes <laughs> it can happen so back to the bourbon real quick so mm-hmm. you know it, it might not be a, a myth at least to me maybe some people that, that might not know about it so you know bullet is owned by diageo and I believe yeah. they've been contracted out for the longest time that most of the distilling is happen- happening over at Four Roses. But mistake me if I'm wrong that the agreement between with Four Roses is going to be coming to an end and distillation is going to be moving to the Bullet Frontier experience that's over at the acclaimed Stutzelwella Distillery. Uh, not quite. Not quite. So, yeah, we have been a contracted bourbon, um, like many of the other, like Pappy Van Winkle and, and a number of other very famous bourbons, um, because obviously it's very expensive to build a, a distillery straight off, and Tom didn't have the money to uh, to just kind of throw down and build a distillery. Uh, and Four Roses, for, for quite some time, were um, distilling our juice. Uh, but we have a, a brand new distillery, uh, currently under construction should be opening uh beginning of 2017 over in shelbyville it's a, a, a huge investment by there it's a 180 million dollar investment into shelbyville a huge site 300 acre site uh, and a brand spanking new distillery so we are very very excited for the, the kind of the new the grand opening uh, early 2017 of the bullet distillery mm-hmm. there's already whiskey over there um, we've got three three warehouses which are currently finished and being filled with whiskey oh really okay. very exciting yes yeah, so we've already started kind of aging the whiskey over there and moving uh moving some of the whiskey from stitzelwella uh over to to the new site okay so it actually is being distilled over at stitzelwella then put on a truck and then aging over there right now is that what's happening no there's no there's no distillate there's no ma- main large-scale distillation happening at Stutzelwella at the moment. We have a, we have a small uh, experimental still um, at Stutzel at the moment, which is u- being used to kind of 
perfect and get everything ready for for the distillation that's going to happen at Shelbyville, uh, and also to do some other kind of fun and interesting projects. Awesome. So like at Camp, so Camp Runamark, we we did a distillation uh, with all the bartenders who turned up to Camp Runamark, and uh, and we did a wheated bourbon when the visit when the still uh, was first put into Stittlewella to kind of celebrate and pay respect to Old Fitzgerald. Oh, awesome. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Cause I think that's one of the things that a lot of people are going to be uh, wondering about, you know, cause we've still got a couple of years ahead of us until um, maybe those new, those barrels are going to be ready for dumping. And then the yeah. new, the new pieces are gonna be ready for distilling. So, uh, you know, is, do you, do you see maybe a, a small change in the taste coming uh, because it is coming from something that was, you know, being distilled at four roses at one point to something that's yeah. going to be completely done by somebody else, which, you know, you can only, you can only go so far, right. You can only buy so many grains from the same wholesalers, whatever. So there might be slight variations, but if the recipe is not changing, probably not too much to the, the common palate. Yeah. And that, that's the, the, the challenge for our, for our master distiller and, and the reason why he gets paid so much money. <laughs> Yeah, and it is it is a, a very long and, and difficult process to kind of make sure that that the the the, the juice that comes from from the new distillery is as close as possible um, to to the juice that we've had previously from our from our contracts. There will always be there will always be variations from batch to batch, and you can never have two things that are absolutely identical, particularly in the world of bourbon, because we're not allowed to add anything at all you know we can't use distillers caramel they're using scotch and and some of the other tricks of the trade that some other spirit categories uh, which we won't mention get away with yeah but we can't do that with bourbon so there will always be a kind of natural variation from batch to batch so this the job of our master distiller is to make sure that that variation is as small as possible right and there is the consistency from from batch to batch so back on uh, episode 23 of our show, we had Carol Perry on, and I think you had the opportunity oh, to meet him at one point, right? So I love that guy. Tell me, tell me what you think <laughs> about him. I, every time I go to Stitzel, I make sure that I block two hours of my time just to go and sit with, sit with Perry uh, and just listen to the stories. I mean, I, I listened to your show uh, when you interviewed Perry, and he is just a, just an absolute legend of the industry. And he has more stories than you could possibly imagine about about oh, I, life in about the bourbons bourbon world in Kentucky. Yeah, I think we might have to do a follow up show on them at some point. Yeah, it's just and you know, you, whenever I'm there, you just I mean, even if, even if I'm not with Perry, just hanging out in the the visitor center, just hearing people kind of come into the, vis, the visitor center. Everyone talks about Perry. He's right. such a character. Oh, he's you know, such he a just such chimes, nice guy too, right? So as soon as you yeah. roll up, it's the first thing. He's the first guy you see. The story, but there's a real nice link with him and Bullet as well. That him and Tom both served in Vietnam, um, and they were both stationed in the same town um, during the Vietnam War. Did they know each other back then, or is it kind of just like you went all that way and had no idea? Yeah, I don't think they. I don't think they met when they were in Vietnam. But there is uh, Perry's got some lovely stories of him and Tom kind of sitting on the veranda um, up at Stitzelweller, just talking, talking about Vietnam and kind of sharing old stories. Back to you a little bit, you know, in the States, there's a lot of people that are, you know, buying whiskey and bourbon and starting to, to grow collections, myself included. And they're, they're just trying to round up as many as they can for, for fun and for tasting. So yourself, do you have a, a fairly large collection of bourbon and whiskey? Can you see my uh, screen? 
So I'm looking at uh, probably what close to a hundred bottles, maybe something like that. It's about four hundred bottles. Four hundred. There you go. Yeah, I've got about a hundred bottles of of bourbon and rye, and then there's obviously scotch, rum, vodka, gin, tequila. Well, that's awesome. So for our Patreon listeners, you can you can watch this this hangout, and you could be able to take a take a snapshot of that. But that's that's quite <laughs> the collection. You got you got any personal favorites that you have in there, or maybe the ones that. Um, I guess you'd say you're you're saving for the the right opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I have a I have a, a small collection of scotch, which is uh, an investment, should we say, uh, which doesn't sit here because it's far too tempting to open. Yeah, it's in a very safe place. Uh, but when it comes to kind of American, I find I, kinda, I find the Orphan Barrel series really interesting, uh, just because you know there's a lot of of whiskey in there that if it hadn't been for the Orphan Barrel project, would never have seen the light of day. And they've done some quite interesting and innovative things. Uh, so that that's really good. Um, what else do I like that's up there? Uh, I mean, the E.H. Taylor stuff, I just, I think is absolutely incredible bourbon. And everything, I t- everything I try from that label is just absolutely spot on. Well, good. Um, See, you're human after all. You're not just always hooting or, you know, uh, tooting the corporate, uh, the corporate horn, right? Oh, no, definitely not. Um, and it's such an exciting time for American whiskey right now. You know, there's so many new labels coming out. There's so many people doing such great stuff. Um, I really love a lot of the stuff that the Willet guys are doing as well. And kind of my first bourbon love, um, and I'll probably get in trouble for my bosses for saying this, but uh, it was Booker's. Oh, yeah. Booker's, Booker's was the, the bourbon when I first, the first bourbon that I tasted that really kind of rocked my world. And then you realize what real bourbon was all about. <laughs> when you started getting into barrel proofs, right? That's that's where it's gonna yeah. end. Oh yeah. So we're gonna wrap it up real quick. I got I got two last questions for you. Uh, so one actually comes from Blake over at Bourboner, and he mentioned it on uh, Twitter this morning. And since you know you've got a pretty uh, distinguished past in the bartending world, if you're gonna be mm-hmm. making a lot of like classic bourbon cocktails, what are some of those ingredients that you should always have on hand? Besides the kind of usual things, so like you know, making a great whiskey sours, you want lemon juice and some simple syrup. Some of the ones that I really love to is um, apricot brandy. I think is a great ingredient um, that really just partners so well with bourbon. You know, there's that that classic flavor combination of bourbon and peaches or apricots. Do things like the Georgia Julep. Um, even if you look at like, things like Southern Comfort, which is a modern day take on a very very traditional. Um, method of flavoring bourbon with peaches. Uh, I think a bottle of apricot brandy can really be a really fun uh, ingredient. You know, make, make a Manhattan and just uh, drop a little bar spoon of apricot brandy in there, just to add a little fruity sweetness to the, to the palate. It is a great one. Obviously, you want to kind of carry a, a good stock of bitters. Bitters have a, a great ability to turn a, a good cocktail into a great cocktail. And today, you know, the, range of, the range of bitters is just enormous. When I started, it was literally... Angostura was was it, um, and then Peychauds came along, and then slowly and slowly it became bigger and bigger. And now, you're not really a bartender unless you make your own bitters. <laughs> that's that's the true sign of a of a an artisan bartel bartender exactly. when you can make your own exactly. bartend make your own bitters, huh? Yeah. Make your own bitters and barrel age your ice. And uh, we just launched our own bitters as well. So we have a, a cherry pecan bitters with bullet, um, which we did for Camp Runamuck earlier this year. Oh, cool. So now everybody knows that those are the things you need to have on stock here if you're, you're going to be making a lot of those uh, kind of classic bourbon cocktails then. Yeah. So uh, last question, just if people want to get a hold of you, whether it's uh, on Twitter or anything like that, how do they do it? 
Uh, Ginger Bitters is my my online uh, persona. Uh, so Instagram, Twitter, uh, Ginger Bitters. Well, Tim, thank you again so much for being on the show today. It was uh, you know it was really great to you know learn more about Bullet. Right, uh, we actually haven't had Bullet on the show before. We talked about it, and I didn't know if we were ever going to get Tom on. Didn't really didn't really try too hard, but you know this was this was something that. Uh, people had actually reached out to us and they said, I think Tim would be great. And I I think that, I think you gave a lot of great information, uh, you know, about the bullet brand itself and the, the intricacies of it. And I think you come with a pretty great storied past of, of your bartending experience as well. So it's, uh, it all kind of meshes together for a really great story. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Um, how about we do this? I know you want to get me on again. So I'd love to talk about, um, the global world of bullet and things outside of the U S. Um, but let's see if we can, kind of get Tom on the show. Let's do it. If we can, yeah. let's, I'll be more than happy to do it. I would, uh, yeah. So I'm in, uh, I'm in the U S in September. So maybe we can kind of sit down with Tom and, and book in some time in September to do it. I'm sure your guest would absolutely love to talk to Tom. He's such an inter- interesting character. I've got, I've got mobile podcasting equipment. I can be anywhere at any time. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also follow us on all those great social media channels. Follow us on, uh, what's he? Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you know, also, if you like what you hear, please, please, please support the show. Uh, we can't keep taking all this time out of our daily lives to, to keep doing this without your support. So that you can find that on Patreon. That's P A T R E O N dot com slash bourbon pursuit. And if you have any other show suggestions, comments, feedback, we take them all to heart and send us an email. It's the duo, T-H-E-D-U-O at bourbonpursuit.com. And we will see you all next time. Mm-hmm.